Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So today I have my friend Patricia Taylor and we are, I think we're going to heal some people. That's what I think. I think we're going to set some people free uh, with this episode. And uh, Patricia, if you would just kind of tell everybody who you are. Sure, I would love to. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Tasha. So I just want to just give you a shout out first because I've had the pleasure of meeting you in person and you are just such an incredible light and phenomenal woman. And as soon as I knew that you were doing a podcast, I was like low key, like pick me, pick me. Yes. <laughs> I, I love, I just love what you're doing. I love it so much. So my name is Patricia Taylor. Most people call me Patty just never pat. <laughs> I'm from the Bay Area, California, but currently live uh, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I've been married for 11 years to my husband. We have three daughters. I have a page that is dedicated to anti-racism education, racial equity, and I just have a real heart for addressing this in and out of church spaces. I am an educator with the organization Be the Bridge. Uh, which is a racial equity organization founded by the phenomenal Latasha Morrison. Um, I love to write and I recently like reconnected with my love of, of softball <laughs> um, on a recent trip and, and I love baseball, uh, go giants. But I, I actually played softball for over a decade and, and uh, got to go to the field of dreams um, in Iowa where that movie took place. So it's been fun. I've been traveling this summer and, and just uh, connecting with with people, and it's it's been really healing for me, and and really enjoyable. I've been noticing that that black girl joy, and uh, doesn't that feel good at our age to be able to access that again? Yes, yes. Like I I I read so many things, like Morgan Harper Nichols. I mean, you know, she's so great, uh, and and others who have been saying, you know, don't forget to have fun and play. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Like I have kids, I have little kids, but I'm just not great at play. Like there's always something to do. There's always, you know, the list to be checked off and the work to be done. And, and, you know, the work that I do and, and the topics I address are, are heavy, but you know, this summer and I'm not taking all, I'm not totally stepping away from it because it's, it's who I am and it's what I really believe is in me to do. But at the same time, I'm not putting that pressure on myself. You know, yeah. I'm going to actually enjoy, enjoy is resistance. And so that's exactly what I've been doing. Joy is resistant. I, resistance. I feel like I need a sign that says that. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. resting too. We need it to is. Rest more and have more joy. That's it. That's it. And we have to create that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So today I'm really addicted to talking about how we heal from all things. Mm-hmm. When I think about the issues, you know, that come up with abortion and the people that I work with, the women that I serve, there's a lot of shame there. And, and I really want to set some people free from, from, from shame and, and from feeling like they're the only ones that, that feel this way. They're the only ones, you know, kind of, kind of living in secret with this thing that nobody understands. Oh, yes. 
you know, as we talk about this, this is a sensitive topic. So, you know, as much as you're willing to share, what was, what was that experience like for you? Sure. And I, I just want to preface this by saying that for any woman who's listening to this conversation, who is post-abortive, um, and I'll probably say this again and again, you're not alone because I, I felt that for years. I was in college across the country from home and I was 19 when I had, when I had an abortion and I felt like my whole world fell apart, but it was a falling apart of my own doing. And so how could I possibly share that with, with people? Because what would they say? Well, you chose this, you know, you did this, you slept with so-and-so you're the one who got pregnant. You're the one who went through with it. So at 19, I did make that choice. Even up to the moment that the procedure was happening, I everything in me was saying I shouldn't do this. Like this is wrong. I don't I don't really want to do this, but I at the time I didn't I didn't really feel like I had another option. I I really felt that overwhelming sense of embarrassment, of shame, of just being so disappointed in myself, uh, caring so much about what people would think about me if they knew. I had come to know the Lord in college and was still, you know, very much a, a, a baby in the faith, but still I'm like, oh, I know, like, this is wrong. <laughs> and, and yet I'm still doing this. And, and so I, I remember just going through all of those emotions and feeling as though there was no way out. And I remember sitting in the waiting room and there was this woman who was sitting across from me and, and I, and I remember her very, very vividly because there are of course so many stigmas attached to the kind of woman who would, who would do something like that. And, you know, me being a young black single female, I fit right into the statistics and the stereotypes, but I was sitting across from a, a you know, probably now my age, you know, 30 something married white woman who she and her husband never wanted kids. And she had a tubal ligation and they got pregnant. And she, for some reason, why do I know this? Because she was like (laughs) telling me her whole story while we're sitting there. And I'm just like, why is this woman talking to me? (laughs) Uh, And maybe she was nervous too. I don't know. Uh, But I just remember feeling like I, I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't do this, but I just, I stayed. I, I remember even looking at her with this, like, this judgment almost like if I was in your shoes, if I was married, you know, like you here, you know, why are you here? And then I remember uh, being called back and uh, the person I was in a relationship with at at the time was, was waiting for me. And I remember being on the table. I remember the sound of the suctioning. I remember the tears coming out the corners of my eyes and, and me being like, there goes my child leaving my body. And I laid there for so long that, that my, my then partner came looking for me, like asked if I was okay. Cause I just didn't come out for a, a really long time. And then you walk out of this, you know, look this clinic, this location, wherever you go. And then like, that's it. Like, that's it. I mean, nobody, nobody knows. It's not something you wear on, on your forehead. <laughs> it was like, I have had an abortion, you know, be gentle with me. You just continue to go about life. And I didn't continue to go about life in a healthy way after that. During that experience, like after you walk out of the room, you're with your partner, 
You just brought up, you know, because you're, you're telling your story and you were very much alone. Yeah, that person was there to pick you up, but you're very much alone. Right. And I just think, wouldn't it be beautiful if you would have had somebody to hold your hand? Yeah. Wipe away the tears to say you will heal from this. Mm-hmm. You will be okay. Yes, there will be grief. Yeah, you're going to have a range of emotions, but you're going to be okay. Right. But if you had told me that when this was happening, I would have rejected that idea because I didn't deserve that. Like I should have, I, I told myself I should have been alone in the room with, with no, with no one there because I did something so terrible. So therefore I don't deserve any good thing. Yeah. Isn't that the lessons we learn, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yes. (laughs) You got yourself into this, whatever happens that it's your fault. And and it makes me think about, I've, I've shared this a couple of times before. I remember being in my twenties and attending church. I was on the usher board and I'm sitting there listening to the pastor's wife. She was preaching that day. And she said, you know, if, if anything, you know, if anything happens, you know, in your life and, and trouble comes your way or, you know, bad circumstances, it's because you're living in a, a life of sin and you deserved it. Whoa. And she said this to a congregation. There was a few hundred of us in this little church. And, and I thought, whoa. And I began to really think about my own life. And I, and I said, she's really saying that we're not allowed to like live and, and make mistakes or decisions or figure out our path that whatever happens, it's our fault. That is the lesson sometimes. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but that's sometimes the lessons that we're taught in our families and in our church and mm-hmm. different places. Yeah, absolutely. And and that continues to be reinforced uh, because you don't feel like you can share what you've gone through. I mean, that continues to reinforce the idea that you can't share what you have gone through or you shouldn't share what you've gone through. And it's such a, a heavy weight to carry alone. You know, I can say now that I'm on the other side of it, I take responsibility for the choice that I made. That didn't mean that I didn't deserve to be loved through that. That didn't mean that I I didn't need support. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember before I, I, you know, had the actual, the procedure, I, I just, I felt sick. I was sick. I was throwing up. I felt awful physically and then mentally, emotionally, spiritually in every way. I just, I felt terrible and I was still trying to go about my day, <laughs> I go to class, I was in choir, you know, like all the things. I remember one day I walked into choir and a friend of mine, uh, I, I'm sure I was just like looking really just raggedy, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it was, I'm sure that what was going on internally was also showing up on my face, but nobody knew. And, and so I walk in and this person, this friend of mine says to me, geez, Patty, uh, I know that you, you've got a man now, but it doesn't mean you have to stop trying all together. And there was, there was this part of me that wanted just, just to scream, like, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. <laughs> but instead I just, you know, kind of gave one of those awkward, like, not, it's like, yeah, just a rough day. But like, it's just so, and, and again, like, I don't blame her or have any animosity. People just don't know what people are going through. Yeah. But when you hear that message, and like you said, when it comes so often from the church, then how do I know that I'm I'm safe to really reveal what I'm going through? You're not safe. It's, it's not, not safe. safe. It's not safe if I can't say, yeah, I, I did this. And, you know, can, will you still love me as I am today? Mm-hmm. Or every time this topic comes up in the news, will 
you see a bunch of people who profess to love Christ calling women who have abortions monsters and murderers and and uh, horrible people and I, I I'm just like wow like I wonder how they'd feel if they knew that I was one of them yeah. I wonder if they if, how they feel if they knew that this woman who sits in the pew next to them is is one of those women yeah you know you don't know you don't know anyone's story it's so easy for people and and I've heard this from church people more than anything because I have shared about this story before in written form and just in conversation and I actually used to work at a um, pregnancy resource clinic, but I, I, I hear so often, I could just never do that. I could just never do that. And I'm like, that's not at all a helpful comment because what you're saying is like, oh, you're, you've done this terrible thing and I could never see myself making that terrible decision. Well, good for you. I hope you're never in the position to, to feel like you need to make that decision, but what, but that doesn't make me a monster. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, and as I listened to you, it just did something to my heart because I said, damn, I wish that I could have been that friend and that even now that I could be that person for, for women who are going through that and, and, and who have decided to terminate a pregnancy. And, and in that moment, you need arms wide open. Mm-hmm. You need a person that says you are loved. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you're safe with me, right? You are loved. You are safe with me and you're loved no matter what. And that person where you can just say, yeah, this is what I've done. This is what I've experienced. And I maybe I want to talk about it. Maybe I don't, but just somebody to just be there. And now I'm, I'm even thinking about, maybe this is a little bit premature in the conversation, but I'm also even thinking about, I wonder if there are clinicians or services that provide aftercare, this compassionate care right after the procedure, or if there's groups. Right. Well, there there are. They're few and far between from what I know of. Uh, I did, like I said, volunteer for, for a spell uh, with a, a resource, pregnancy resource clinic, and I did want to volunteer specifically to help post-abortive women to have someone to talk to. And I was able to do that, but it was so rare because so many women won't seek out that help because they, they, we just don't feel like we deserve that. The the guilt, the shame, you know, uh, you know, it's really, it's really interesting uh, because I've terminated a pregnancy and I've also had two miscarriages and I've shared about them all in public ways. Uh, mis- a miscarriage is, is devastating. You know, you, you, you're trying to figure out a reason why, you know, you don't understand. And then so many well-meaning people are like, you know, well, if the baby wasn't healthy and God knows and, you know, all the things, but, and even though people get it wrong sometimes, cause we all do, right. Uh, even when we try our best, there is still a level of, Hey, we need to talk about this more. Hey, like there are so many moms and, and or, or just women or parents or people just suffering in silence. You know, let, let's really, let's bring this to the forefront. Let's bring this out to the light because these women need to be healed. Yes. But then when you talk about making the choice to terminate a pregnancy, it's like, oh no, like you said, you did that to yourself. So, you know, that healing isn't for you. And, and that is something that I told myself just because of, of who I am <laughs> and, and dealing with years of this, you know, this idea of like overcoming perfectionism and, and, you know, wanting to be good and make the good right choices. And, and so a lot of that was like my own, just beating myself up, but it gets reinforced in these spaces that yeah. claim that they want you to come as you are, but then you got, you know, sister so-and-so on Facebook talking about, you know, oh my gosh, like, 
these women, these women, these yeah. women, and then their comments are going off and, and, you know, someone, and this actually happened and someone, you know, I saw a, a, someone's post uh, from a church that I used to attend and, and a commenter said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we, you know, why don't we abort the women before they even get a chance to terminate their pregnancy? And I'm just waiting for this person who I go to church with to, to tell that person like, Hey, no, that's not the answer. You know, like I can, you can feel strongly about abortions and you know, blah, but that's not the answer. She didn't say anything. So I, I remember I reached out to that person privately and I'm like, Hey, like, this is really harmful. <laughs> like, this is really harmful because you never know who's, who's watching. You never know who, who's been there. This is not something people tend to broadcast. The response was kind of, Oh yeah, you know, well, I don't really know where that person's relationship is with, with the Lord, but you know, not your business. That's not the point. Like, I don't like, why are you allowing that to be, you know, on, on your page and to continue to reinforce this idea that, you know, those of us who have made this choice don't, don't have any good things in store for us. We don't get God's grace. We don't get to move on like, and, and have families or, or, or pursue careers or whatever our goals are. Like, like I really believe that for so long, but what if I still believe that to this day? Would I have three daughters? Would I be married? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, as even as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about church harm, church trauma, and not everybody would even describe what they've been through as church trauma. But I think about things that I've heard in the church and in with, with past church members, as it relates to addiction, mental illness, abortion, and homosexuality, as it relates to mental illness and homosexuality. I would sit in the pew and I would think when you're talking about these people, you're talking about me, but they didn't know it because I look good. I'm professional and, and, and I look like everybody else look, but they don't know my story. And I think, wow, you're judging that person. And I remember somebody in a group setting saying, I don't see how anyone could ever attempt to kill themselves. Like, that's so stupid. Who would ever do that? And I just thought I said, you're talking about me. And the harm that we do to people. And so as I hear your story, I know what that's like from a different perspective, mm -hmm. but that living in silence, living in secrecy, we do so much harm to each other, mm -hmm. the judgment in Jesus's name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And then I actually had just, it's from a previous podcast interview I did, but this quote that I, I shared just popped to my mind is it's, you know, people want to be there for the testimony. <laughs> You know, and people, like I said, look at you and say, well, I just didn't think this of you, Tasha, because look at you, you right. have your practice, you're, you're, yes. professional, you're professional and, and, you know, same here, like, uh, oh, oh, not, not you, Patty, not you. Oh, I'm not talking about you. Like, you know, you're, you're married, you got kids. <laughs> look at your precious family. I know that yeah. God did work in you. And I'm like, okay, but did you know that for years I self-sabotaged relationships because I didn't think that I was worthy of love? Did you know that I believe in my, in my heart and soul that I was carrying a boy and I named him Jeremiah and I wish that my daughters had a big brother. Like, do you know those things? Do you know that I couldn't hear the sound of suctioning because I was triggered because I was back in that place in that moment. Did you know yeah. that I despise going to the gynecologist because those feet in the stirrup means a totally different thing for me. Do you know any of that? Do you know how harmful it is when you are tearing down these women as if they are othered, as if they are some, you know, aliens from another planet <laughs> who, who don't actually exist in spaces where you exist? 
you don't know those things, but you just know, hey, like you're, you're doing great work now. You got the family now. You're good now. Mm-hmm. And that's not enough. That's not enough. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely not. You know, after, after that experience for you, after the abortion, how did it impact your relationship with others, whether that was your college friends, your teammates? Did you play softball in college? I did for a year. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I actually was a big choir choir girl. Yeah, <laughs> not something new, but I, I did do softball for a year. Mm-hmm. How did it impact your your relationships afterward? Uh, I was very. I built a wall up. I built a wall up. Uh, I'm very social. I'm very extroverted. I'm super like friendly people person. But it was terrifying to think of letting people in and. Because again, I, I know I'm carrying this ginormous secret <laughs> that comes with all the shame and all this, you know, this, the terrible, you know, feelings and, and, and perspectives and just everything. And I'm like, as soon as I open up and say, Hey, this is me, then these people aren't going to want to be here anymore. And eventually there were maybe like two people that I told, but we never really like talked about it. It was just, you know, okay, I'm going to trust that I can tell you this thing. And and that was it. Uh, but I, I really did, like, like I, I mentioned, I really self-sabotaged. I would be in a, in a, I would see a good thing. I would experience a good thing. Then I would tell myself, I don't, I don't deserve that good thing. Yeah. Everything you just said, I so feel that. And I've been there when I think about my queerness, when I think about, you know, my early relationship history, history of hypersexuality. Mm-hmm. I think about that. I literally attempted to end my life, a very serious attempt. And thinking, I can't really share this with anybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it takes years to get to get through that shame. Did you at any point have people that you knew, like, this is a safe place. This is a safe person. I had people that I believed I could share this with. I don't know that I would say that they were fully safe. I would just... I hit a point where I'm like, I, I can't keep this in any longer. <laughs> I've done that for years. <laughs> please, please don't let this backfire on me. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean now, yes, yes. But like just, just more, you know, closely after um, terminating my pregnancy. No, I just didn't feel like any, any place was safe or any person was safe. It's heartbreaking, you know, to, to feel like, like you're hiding this, this huge secret, not just from the world, you know, at a distance, but even from people who, who know you and, and say they love you. Yeah. You know, when I think about the church, the American Christian church, it's been my experience that, that grace and forgiveness is often weaponized. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your process of accepting and, or knowing that grace and love and forgiveness belong to you just like it belonged to everybody else? Oh, that was a long, slow, deep work of a process. I can't even pinpoint when things began to click, but it was, I can say that the more I began to really explore who God is, apart from who people who profess the name of God, then I started to know more about my own worth and my own value in God's eyes and the love that Jesus has for me, regardless of what I have done. And, and I think that that, it was so scary because uh, it's so often framed in this, in this all or nothing thing. Like I can, I can say 
or we can say if we've made mistakes, you know, I consider my abortion a, a terrible choice and a mistake. That's where I am. But that still doesn't mean that I am not loved by God, <laughs> you know, but it's like, it's so often presented as this all or nothing. Like, like you can't, you can't be wrong or admit to your wrong and also have that, that, that grace, yeah. you know, you have to like get all spiffy and clean first <laughs> and, and do all the things, you know, that, that makes everybody know around you that, that you got your, that you got your life together. Then you can come to God and, and say, okay, I'm ready. And the, the thing is that so many people will like preach and teach and say, that's, that's like, not what it is, you know, come, come as you are, you know, come broken, come weary, you know, all these things as it says in scripture. But then the reality of it is, well, how do you respond to these real life people who are broken and re- and imperfect come to you? You know, as you were talking, I was thinking that, that I think that the, the church does send mixed messages mm-hmm, mm-hmm. depending on the day, whatever day of the week. It's yeah, grace belongs to all. But then there's also these other messages that leave people feeling and thinking that grace and forgiveness that you do have to work for. You have to work hard for it. You have to be perfect, as near to perfect as you can be. And, and that is just not true. It's like we're constantly having to work for God's love, for God's approval. And in actuality, and I, and I don't know if you feel this same way, when I think back to when I did, <laughs> was very active in the church community, it, was, it really was working for the congregation <laughs> and church leaderships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Approval. Can you let me into your club? Can you, can you, do you accept me? Am I good enough? Am, am I worshiping enough? Am I attending enough events? Am I, am I, am I using Christianese <laughs> the right way? Am I doing all the things so that you embrace me and love me? I I don't know if, if you've ever had that experience or not. Oh yes, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, because the irony is, is, you know, how many times have I heard there's no perfect person who's ever roamed this earth except for Jesus. But yet there are these unwritten, unspoken, um, grafted in expectations for us to be as close to Jesus as possible, which then gets like warped and translated to as perfect as possible. And that's, that's just not it. That's just not it. And, and that, but I fell into that belief, you know, so, so deeply, so, so much so that, that again, I just felt like, well, I, I just don't have any personal worth because, you know, yes, like you said, God's grace is for all, unless you can check off one of these boxes and you fit into one of these categories. And I felt like as a woman who had had an abortion, I fit into one of those untouchable categories where God's grace was, was not actually expansive enough to reach me. And, and then because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're around people. And, and of course, on the one hand, you can say, well, yeah, like we all, we're all just human and we mess stuff up. (laughs) But when there, there's not that accountability for the harm that's caused when the people that you're around in, in church are, are causing, then, then what do you do with that? Like how, you know, it breaks my heart when people leave the faith, I'm not talking about the church building, but leave the faith because of how people who profess to, to know Christ treated them. And it breaks my heart because I just know that that's not God. That's not God's heart. That God is weeping because man, <laughs> like, like I, and, and the love is still there, you know, with God and that person. Um, 
so again, not a place of shame there, but it just breaks my heart when, when people who are, are Christ professing, following believers walk in a way and talk in a way and act in a way and shun in a way and shame in a way and push out in a way that does not reflect, you know, Brown Jesus and the mm-hmm. God that I know but then still want to make it all about the person who, who did that terrible thing. And it's just so incongruent to me, you know? It is, so, absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Patricia. No, 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 you're fine. I just, because there a lot of it too, is we, we, we aren't willing to enter into each other's experiences. Then we can't grow empathy when, when the response is, well, I can never do that. Or I can't even imagine, or Phew, like what's wrong with that person. They would think that, then that just shuts it down. It shuts it down right then and there because then it's like, oh, okay, I know that my story is too much for you to handle. I know mm-hmm. that all that I bring is 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 too much. And you already have this preconceived notion. You already have these, these prejudgments of people who are quote unquote like me and it shuts it down. But what if we actually made room to say, well, tell me, tell me about your story. Tell me about what it's like to live and in, 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 in breathe and in, in walk in your shoes. And then we can we can love each other through it. Yeah. I think that, that if we were able to walk with people on their journey through whatever they were going through, if we were doing more hugging, more handholding, more loving, mm-hmm. more listening, more attending to people's needs, we would greatly decrease the amount of trauma that's occurring in churches and communities and families. And even as I think about your experience and how certain sounds trigger and just, you know, it, it or, or cert, certain situations bring back that memory, the stirrups, right? The gynecology uh, exam room. What if we could, you know, we can't take away a lot of that trauma as it relates to certain things, but a lot of it we can. Right. Where you feel like I am not alone and no matter what, I am still loved. And, it, and when you feel like you're still loved, that in itself is, that, that's, that's healing. That's, that's the epitome of, of healing. We, we undo to, a lot of damage. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just with you. I think we need to make more space and more room to love the unlovable or for those who feel that they are unlovable. with even with like actual like in this situation there needs to be more spaces to speak to post-abortive women to go through it's it's ptsd it's a trauma it's a it's a traumatic experience there needs to be room and space for that to happen on on a a broader level and and that holistic care happening but even just interpersonal you know in church spaces and friendships and in relationships you know it 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 doesn't, it takes so little to believe that you are, are unlovable and it takes so much to believe that you are worthy of love. And, yeah. and so if we could just do more <laughs> to be generous and lavish love on people, especially those who are hurting all of us though, because we all have our own hurts um, in different ways, then just what a, what a picture of, of the church and, and Christ that could be, and that would be. Uh, I, I just remember thinking that the scariest place for me to ever share the story would be the church yeah. because they would just, they, you know, people within it would just look at me different. And, yeah. you know, and I did, you know, I said, I got to a point where I was sharing my story and I went to churches and, and I uh, was able to give that testimony. And I was, I was really happy to do so. But then even within that process, I felt that tension as well. Like, I don't want to be the poster child for black women who have overcome having an abortion and now 
I'm happily married and have kids. And so that's just, everyone just needs to be like me um, because that, I don't want to be the token post-abortive black woman that can be used to be like, hey, you can do it too, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and so there was some of that that I really wrestled with because then when we talked about, you know, add, add other factors in, right? Add, add race as a factor, then it's, oh, okay. I was in spaces where you want me to tell my testimony and share my story of, of coming out of an abortion, but you don't want me to talk about the disparities and the systemic racism and, and get to more of the why rates are what they are in, in black communities. Mm-hmm. So it, it can't just be a pick or choose. Like this part of your story is the one is the part that I want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to church leadership, and we've talked about how much they they get it wrong, what can church leaders do to kind of heal the damage from from the messages that they've sent out? What just what immediately comes to mind for you in terms of what can the church do better? Whew, the church can <laughs> the church can do a better job of remembering that they're talking about real, live, actual women when they are bringing up this topic of abortion. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have any frame of reference for, for being able to have compassion and empathy, then they shouldn't be talking about it, period, because they're going to cause more harm. And the yeah. church should focus less on a label of being pro-life when they really mean that they are just pro-baby. And when they really, really mean they are just pro-heteronormative mm-hmm. white baby because that has been like the most damaging thing is to continue to see like the pro-life movement sweep through the church and we we love the babies you know you're a terrible person for killing a baby don't vote for someone who would kill a baby don't kill the babies don't kill the babies um and then the babies are born it's like yeah no i I just i i cannot grasp that like i i cannot understand that you know as the church we don't want to talk about birth control. We don't want to talk about, you know, anything but abstinence, but then you tell single moms to come in and then you shame them because they had a baby out of wedlock and, you know, and, and they, they made a terrible mistake. And I mean, it's just sad. And it's just sad. There are too many, of course, this is not the case in every situation, but just the fact that it's the case in too many spaces should not be, should not be in the name of Jesus. And as I think about what could we do different what if every person that's in a church, that's in a leadership position, that has a mic, that has a voice, that has a relationship in a church, that means everybody. If you just led with, you are loved and you belong. Yes. yes. You are loved and you belong. And you just repeat that over and over and over. Grace is for you. It is for everybody. Mm-hmm. And we live that. We don't just speak it. We, we live it. We show it. How much freer people could be oftentimes, and I've said it myself, but I've also heard other people say that church is where they had to hide the most, where they couldn't be themselves the most. Mm-hmm. And if we led with love and led with graces for everybody, you don't have to earn it. It is yours. You were born with it. And we would erase the shame that people feel about all kinds of things. Yeah. And that, you know, and it's, that's so foundational yet. I feel like in too many spaces, that message is whispered. And the message that shouted out loud is turn from your sin, you horrible sinner. You did this thing, you're a big fat sinner and you're not going to go to heaven now. 
That's it. You know? <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. okay, you know. I remember being terrified telling telling my husband, my now husband, you know, about that part of my story. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what if, like, I was then tainted because of that, you know? What if he didn't want me because that's a message that I, you know, overtly or covertly received from church spaces that, you know, you have sexual past, hypersexuality, you have had an abortion, you've, you know, had these other things happen, then that's it. Like you're, you're discarded yeah. and, and there's no redemption. And I'm like, wait a minute, isn't, isn't this like, how can we tell the story of Jesus without redemption? <laughs> like, how can that be possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also wondering the women that come to see me who have, who have had abortions, they often speak of guilt, shame, numbness, even anxiety, fear. And you've even mentioned some of those same emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Was therapy ever provided to you or did you ever pursue therapy or just, you know, did you, did you need it or, or at any point in your life to, to kind of, you know, process all of that? Oh yes. I felt all those emotions you just listed. I felt all of them and then some, but I, honestly, I just shut down. I just figured this was my cross to bear. Yeah. I, I didn't even, I didn't even consider therapy as, as an option for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a college student. I'm just going to keep my head down and uh, I didn't want rumors flying. And, you know, I just didn't want to share and talk with anyone. Uh, could I have used therapy then? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's why I was really so grateful for that season to be able to, to speak to other women, even though there are few and far between who, 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 I guess, who, like I said, willingly came in seeking that specific part of what we offered at that clinic. Um, but in times when I've been able to share my story, I'm always thinking of the woman who's been where I've been, you know, not the women or the people who haven't experienced it. I'm good. Yes. Hear it, hear it as well. (laughs) And hopefully it will move you to a place of compassion and empathy, but I'm always thinking about the woman who's been where I've been and just what I I wish I would have been told during that, that time, or I thought that I, I wasn't worthy of love because how could anyone who, who, took the life of her own child out of her womb or had it taken, how could anyone like that ever be worthy of love? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that is the narrative I told myself day after day, year after year was how, how could this be? And, and even when I could truly say like, okay, yes, (laughs) like I, I know God, I know, I know who I am. I, I, you know, I, I am not that person that I beat myself down into being. I'm not that person that, that, you know, outside sources have, have, you know, kind of try to put me or others who've been where I've been into this, this mold or this situation. It's still, when I was pregnant with, with my first child, I, I had a scary moment where I had a lot of bleeding. And I remember my mind went to, is this punishment? Is mm-hmm. this where, is this, you know, coming back to get me now? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this what I deserve? And so it's still, it's a, it's a process, you know, I'm so thankful to say that I've been healed from this belief that I am not worthy, Yeah. I, but you know, in my humanness, I mm-hmm. still, it's not completely erased. It's just become, it's become a scar. It's not an open wound anymore, but it's, it's a scar. It's present, but it doesn't define me. I think that experience of, of questioning, you know, did I, the thing that I'm going through, am I going through it because I deserve it? Is it like payback? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I think that is that is so. I hear that so often. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like there needs to be some kind of a, you know, the, there's like the seven stages of of grief. I feel like there should be seven stages of of grieving after an abortion, or or these are the symptoms. This is what's going to happen because that is so common um, in in the women that I treat and feeling that way. And a part of my job is to help them to realize, nope, <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's that's really not how God works is, oh, you did this. Now, now I'm going to make this thing happen to you. Like, this is payback. No, that's people. That's not God. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that's not God. And yes. so when it comes to like defining yourself for yourself, can you speak to how you define yourself today apart from how people and society judge? Oh, that's that's a question. Yes, um, I will answer that. But I wanted to share this, too, because I mentioned it before, but I couldn't think of the name just for anyone who might be listening and might be in this place. Um, post-abortive stress syndrome, which is a form oh. of is something that um, it would just be helpful for people to look up and and to learn more about because when you're alone and you're going through it and and when you've made a decision so you're thinking well I, everything I'm going through is is my own uh, my own doing but you're having all these feelings and you're like I am numb I am anxious I am fearful I am all these things why what is it what does it mean where is it coming from it's 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 very disorienting and then not knowing if you have anyone you can even turn to, to talk about it, because you just feel, at least I just felt like it didn't matter whatever negative, bad feelings I had. That's just where I am. That's where I'm going to stay. So, um, as far as defining myself, you know, I used to define myself so much by how other people viewed me, what they thought about me. Um, if I was good, if I was making right choices, um, if I had at least the appearance of being perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I am, really growing and learning and walking in the fullness of who I am, faults and all, mistakes mm-hmm. and all, and experiencing the liberation and freedom that comes with that and knowing that none of that changes God's love for me mm. and that I actually cannot and should not and won't be defined by anyone else <laughs> and that I can turn to to God when I need reminders of how I'm seen and how beloved I truly am and how precious I am and how valued I am and that it's okay that I have people um, that I, I have less people in my life now because the people who I do have they see all of me and they love me yes and, and I, and I'm not going to settle for less because I settled for less for a long, long time. and didn't even realize I was settling mm-hmm. and that's just not a place where I can be anymore. Yeah. We often settle for less because we believe that's what we deserve or that's all that is possible. Mm-hmm. What was birthed in you once you started speaking your own truth? A confidence that I didn't, that I didn't have before. I don't know how people perceived me. I don't think I came across as someone who lacked confidence necessarily, but I just had so many insecurities and really, really was, was, was very much tied to other people's perceptions of me. And then when I realized I can actually speak my truth on my terms and tell my story and have that voice, then I, I just wanted to be able to do more of that. 
and not just for myself, but because I want other women to know that, that even whatever you've gone through is not the end of you. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be a new beginning. It can, maybe it's a reroute, <laughs> you know, maybe you did make that U-turn and have to go back. But I mean, I really, Tasha thought this would end me. Yeah. Like, I just thought that I would just be just doomed to be unhappy and unloved and unlovable for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I thank God literally that I was able to come to a place in my understanding of knowing that that's not the case. Yeah. And I want to be able to speak that truth so that others know that this, that the worst of you, I think even Brian Stevenson has this quote. I'm not going to say it exactly, but basically about your worst decision, it doesn't define who you are. Mm. And, and my goodness, it's so easy to think that it does. Right. You've spoken about your abortion before you said you've written about it, you've spoken out about it. You've spoken out in churches and different things. What, and I believe that when we speak out, like that is our path to healing, naming it and saying, yeah, this thing happened to me, or I did this thing. And this is, this is where I'm at today. But was there a defining moment? Was there an incident or, or something that for you, it just kind of ignited a fire where you say it, I got to start talking about this. It's, it's time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was actually an interesting chain of events. Uh, I when right before we moved to Georgia. So that was like six and a half years ago. I remember, and, and don't quote me. I might, I meant to actually look this up before. So forgive me if it's inaccurate, but I remember just some video circulating on the internet. And I believe that it was actually Lecrae and he was being interviewed by someone, maybe even like John Piper or someone like that. <laughs> but I didn't, I, I didn't tune in to watch it. I just, it just flashed on the screen and I saw this tiny little clip or maybe a heading of an article about him speaking out against or speaking up about the role that he played in, you know, previously dating a woman who had an abortion yes. and, and taking that, you know, taking that ownership, that responsibility, speaking about it. And I remember like, that was a moment where I'm like, whoa, like he's talking about this out loud. Yeah. I know and that song. Like, I can't think of the name of yeah, it. Yeah, but... honestly, Cause it's about a song that I think was, was being released on that album. Yep. And so, um, like that just stuck with me. Like he, he told people about that thing that we're told to keep in the dark, mm. you know, and even more so as the woman who's had the abortion. And then when we moved, uh, months after we got here, the first friend that I, that we, that my husband and I made this couple, the wife actually worked at this pregnancy resource clinic. And like in the first conversation we had her, her work and her job came up and I was like, Oh, Hmm. Interesting. So I really felt like, you know, there was, there was a, a nudge from, from the Holy spirit, from the Lord that was like, yeah, yeah. Like you're ready. You know, you're, because it's so scary. I don't, I don't want to talk about it and, and reopen all these, these wounds. I didn't want to talk about it. And like, you know, I don't know, somehow just cause more harm to me or to others. But I did, there was just something in me that was like, yeah, like you're ready. You're ready to, to share because you have experienced my goodness on the other side. And there are others who are still bound in, in their, in their shame because of this decision and they need to know that that's, that's not what I want for them. 
that's not where I want them to be. And, and so, um, I just really think it was, that was like the, 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 the game changer for me. I just want to say right now, thank you, Lecrae. Thank you for your music, for your words, for your interviews, for speaking out, because it, you mentioning that is the first time I'm th- and now I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I don't know of another, of, of a, a person that identifies as man or male that has come out from that perspective of being the partner and talking about what that decision meant for them and how they were also dealing with it. So thank you, Lecrae, for inspiring Patricia. <laughs> I want to speak to women who may not even believe in God or may not identify as Christian. And I want to say that everything that we're saying today, you take the meat, you throw away the bones. Mm-hmm. I still want every person listening, you don't have to identify as any particular faith or anything. You still deserve love. You still deserve arms wide open. You still deserve people in your life who are non-judgmental, who are understanding, who are listening, and who are who understand what it means to hold space with you for you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And the universe is still protecting and guiding you. So we don't even have to use the word God or Jesus. The universe is still there for you, guiding you and protecting you and loving you every step of the way. Um, Patricia, is there anything that kind of sticks out to you that you would want women, the women who are listening to my podcast to just know? Oh, just to reiterate what you've just said that, the love is available for you. And it's really difficult when you have outside sources, outside voices, heaping the shame upon you. But then it feels insurmountable when you're the one doing that to yourself. And that's not to say that I don't get it because I walked there, I've been there (laughs) Uh, for such a long time. I was there and I just want women to know who are listening right now to know that the way that you see yourself after having, you know, made this decision, terminating a pregnancy, having an abortion, all the feelings that you've walked through, all the circumstances surrounding it, whatever it is, that if you are, are, are looking in the mirror and saying, I am too broken, I am too unloved, I am damaged goods, I just want you to know that those are all lies. Those are all lies. And I pray, hope, wish that the truth of your beauty would just wash over you and that you know that you are not alone and you don't have to be alone and that you can tell someone who you trust and they will still love you. And you can seek help if there's a place available and it's okay to name it and you won't crumble. You won't fall apart. You've made it this far. You are going to be more than okay. You will be thriving and, and living a beautiful, beautiful life. And it's just because of the person that you are, not because of what you have or haven't done. And I just, I just really just want to just spread all the love and just give all the hugs away <laughs> to women who have been here because, or who are there now. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to just mention to anybody 
who is thinking, well, maybe I could talk to a safe person and maybe, maybe I do need therapy. What I would recommend, because not when it comes to therapy, we're not all the same. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I would highly recommend that when you look for someone, if you're looking on clinicians of color, if you're looking on therapy for black girls, if you're looking on psychology today, if you're looking on therapy, then you can type in uh, uh, just Google abortion therapy or type it in the search bar of, of the directories, the therapist directories, abortion. You can always ask during your consultation with a mental health professional, are you pro-choice? Are you pro-life? What is your stance? And their response will let you know, is this a safe person? That's good, Tasha. You, you can peruse their website and see what are they, what, what are they standing for? What, what are they believing in? What's their niche? I talk about this all the time. You can ask that therapist anything. What are your beliefs? What's your religious belief? But as it relates to the topic of abortion, that is such a nuanced topic. Mm-hmm. I have full compassion for anybody that's gone through that. It is not easy. I know that they didn't go through that decision just like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Most women don't go through that just without thinking about right, it. Right. And so full compassion, full love for me. And I'm going to hold space for you and you will not have to walk this journey alone. You will not have to experience this trauma alone. Yeah. Anything to add or did I, did I cover it pretty well, Patricia? No, you did. That's, that is so helpful because even as I was saying those words, I was like, oh, well, like, how do you know if someone's safe? So I'm so happy that yeah. you said that because uh, that, I mean, we see that in lots of conversations happening and, and this is why I love your podcast and what you do so well is to have that nuance, you know, you know yeah. and, and, you know, again, from the outside looking in, it may seem easy to, to cast judgment, to make a decision, to make a, a, a statement, you know, a broad statement about things you would never do or never understand or could never consider. Uh, but when you hear people's stories, when you actually lean in to listen, then then you, you realize, again, these are fellow human beings <laughs> who have a very different experience in mind, maybe. But does that mean that they're any less worthy of, of loving? So yeah, I definitely, I just, no, I really appreciate that from a professional standpoint, because I don't want anyone to be (laughs) re-traumatized, you know, by just thinking that anyone can, is really able to, to handle this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. Just thinking about, especially like in, in a church context, I think what often happens is that there's a lot of emphasis on owning up to the wrongdoing and, and not just uh, sitting with someone in their hurt and, and just letting them know, hey, we love you. We'll walk through you with this. So I just think that's really important as far as safety goes. Like, again, I, I've said all throughout this podcast where I am, where my beliefs are, I believe that what I did was wrong. But I don't, it's not helpful if I talk to someone and they're just focusing on this was wrong. This was terrible. You made this terrible choice. And they're not actually seeing me for me and wanting to help me to heal from that. They just want to make sure I understand that what I did was wrong. Like, yeah. and there, there's no, there's no, there's no fruit from that. There's no, you know, like how, how can I, how can I heal <laughs> if that's all I'm hearing? Okay. I'm, I'm giving myself that message every day. Thank you. You know? And so I just think that's something that happens a lot. Just, well, make sure that you know that what you did in X, Y, Z situation was wrong. And then we can get to the healing part. Uh, can, can you just love me? That's it. Can you, can you just love me? 
and 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 walk walk with me through this. That's it. Just love. And I'm really hurting. That's it. That's it. Just love. That's it. Yeah. And and we do need more of that in our churches in every single way. When you want to move your body, when you want to dance, if that's even something that you do, I dance every day, but but if that's, you know, when you want something fast or, or upbeat, what do you listen to? <laughs> um, you know, lately it's just funny because this question makes me laugh. My husband's pop playlist on Spotify <laughs> because he has, he has all these different playlists for working out. And one time I put this on, I'm like, let me see what, what Kevin Taylor talking about. I was like, hold up, how you know these songs? And so it's just, it's funny for me to think about like him listening to these songs, but also they're just, they're just catchy. Like they're just upbeat. Like I just, I just want to like, I don't even know like specific artists like that. I'm like, uh, I'm so out of touch, but um, I just like songs I can sing along to. Yeah, I'm not much of a dancer, but I like songs where I can just belt it out. And you know, like I've been on like this, like Demi Lovato kick lately. And just, yeah. you know, I'm just like, Love I love her. Just sing it out or, or take it back to, you know, the Sierra level up and, you know, just songs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, yes. Like I'm feeling it. Rihanna, of course. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've really just enjoyed it. Cause it's kind of funny for me to be like, like he'll hear like a popular song, I guess, and just keep adding to the playlist. And I'm like, let me see what he added. <laughs> and you know, a lot of kids bop cause I got little kids, but I'm not gonna lie. These kids can sing. <laughs> <laughs> They can sing. I'm like, okay, I kind of like this version better than the original. <laughs> Look, it's long past the days of um, old McDonald had a farm, you know. <laughs> Music has come a long way for children. Right. I know. Sometimes I'm like, uh, okay, that song is still, I don't know, just because it's little people singing it doesn't mean <laughs> they should be listening. But, <laughs> but, but that, version of, that version of that Bruno Mars is good, though. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Who or what makes you laugh? Oh, goodness. My my girls and my husband, even though I don't give him enough credit for it, I'm always like, you're not funny, but he really is funny. He, he'll send me reels and videos throughout the day and I just crack up like, mm-hmm. oh, he's funny. But but my girls, they really, they're just, you know, to see life through the eyes of a child. Yeah. You know, three girls under 10 nine six and, and a fresh three-year-old she just turned three yesterday um and just their giggles make me giggle <laughs> um, when they're not like bickering and fighting of course but when, when they're just playing a game and you know just it's just so it's just so fun just so fun to, to see that their wonder who or what inspires you mm. the first person I thought of is my mom mm-hmm. um she is just an incredible woman who I didn't always understand the why behind some things that she did or just dynamics within our relationship. But as I grew and matured and we had conversations and I'm, I know some things she's experienced and I just say, wow, like, wow. <laughs> like, I'm just like in awe of you <laughs> and the person you are and the person that you've raised me and my brother to be and had a role in, in my, my stepsister becoming and, and she's someone who I, who I really look up to and really admire and, and just want to be that kind of mom to my children. You know, it's hard because, yeah, we're just, we're all going to mess up. <laughs> um, but I'm just trying my best. And I, and I just think about 
just different, just different situations I hear about or different dynamics. I, I know friends have with their parents and I've always just been so grateful to have the relationship that I do have with, with my mom and, mm-hmm. and just like black women in general, I'm just always in awe of, of just us, of yeah. us existing, of us being, of us leaning into that joy <laughs> of us being soft and not just strong of us speaking up and speaking out and, and there are just, there's so many, I have a long list of people who I just really, really admire and who inspire me. And for anyone listening and they would love to connect with you on social media or your website or anything that you've written or anything, how can they connect with you? Yes. Yes. So I haven't um, done a blog post in a while, but I do still have an active website where I have shared um, different stories and different things. That's some thoughts from your black friend.com. Um, but you will find me most active on social media at on Instagram. I'm at Patricia underscore a underscore Taylor. I am on Facebook as well. It's the same name as my website. Um, some thoughts from your black friend by Patricia a Taylor. Sometimes I'm on Twitter. I, don't know, I think you probably just type in my name. <laughs> I'm on there on occasion. Uh, but yeah, I would love to connect. I would love to connect and, and to just keep these conversations going. And, and I think that there's so much um, just when the, when there's pain and hurt and trauma and experience like this, that are kept in the dark, it just festers and it just manifests into more darkness. And I really just hope and pray that, even if one person listening can just say, I was encouraged to step into the light after this experience, then, then that's all that I would want because you and we are worth that. That's it. That's it. Thank you so much, Patricia, for sharing your story with me and being on my podcast and being my friend. And I just love <laughs> you so much. I love you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time.